Supercoach All-Stars podcast. This is Barnsley back again for another week in the pre-season podcast for this off-season. And this time around, we've got the Gold Coast Titans and also the West Tigers that we're previewing for tonight. Um, now, before we do that, a couple of quick housekeeping things before I introduce our exciting guests for this particular podcast. Um, first things first, a few people have been asking for a All-Stars listener group. Uh, there is a group code that you can throw into Supercoach if you want to jump into the All-Stars group. It's 280910. So that's 280910. Throw that in as a group code and you can jump into our group. As far as leagues, I've chatted to a lot of guys online, on Twitter especially. There's been a couple of money leagues that I've put up. One of them's full, the other one is half full. So if you're interested, hit me up on Twitter. It's a $50 head-to-head league, pretty standard, bit of fun for the listeners. But uh, if you want a free league, I am going to throw one up. So first in best dress, 20-man league, free one for the All-Stars listeners, and that is 750400. So jump in that one if you want to have a free league just for some of the All-Stars listeners. Me and Billy are in there, so you can battle against us. Aside from that, obviously, Top Sport is one of our partners for this podcast now. Top Sport are a fantastic bookmaker in Australia, 100% Australian owned and run. And on top of that, the biggest thing about Top Sport is that they are going to have the NRL Supercoach markets for this season. First time for Top Sport, really exciting. You can bet on things like whether you think a certain player is going to get over or under his total for that week's game. You can also bet on the season-long stuff, like who you think is going to be the number one Supercoach scorer. Top Sport are going to have all that and very much more with all the NRL markets that they've got, along with all the other sports that you might enjoy. So gamble responsibly, but if you are going to have a bit of a punt, Go on a top sport, um, and if you haven't got a count yet, create one with the promo code SC All Stars, all one word, and they'll take care of you as one of our listeners. Now that we got all the housekeeping out of the way, guys, with leagues and promos and everything, really excited to introduce my next guest because he is a West Tigers tragic, and he is a bit of a stats man. Everybody knows Matty Person. He's been around on a lot of podcasts over the years, so excited to have you on board, Perso, to, to reminisce about the Tigers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good to be back for the perennial uh, pre-season episode, Barty. Uh, don't know if there's too much joy in the Tigers again, but long-suffering fans, uh, see what we can find. Wilfred, for example, I've got to you know, talk down from how much he is into his team. Um, with you, I know it's actually the opposite. You know, I, I've got to talk, my, talk up how good the Tigers are going to go and try and twist your arm a little bit because you're traditionally fairly pessimistic on how they're going to go. Ultimate realist, Barzi. Ultimate realist. <laughs> so what's your um, realistic take on them um, this year? Are you feeling a bit better or worse or, or pretty much the same on how they're going to fare? Yeah, about the same. Probably one of the worst lines in the NRL, if we'll be honest about it. Losing um, Harry Grant and Marshall. Well, I know Marshall has defensive flaws and stuff, but that's where all our points came from last year was Harry Grant and Marshall. So that looks a little better. You know, I think we'll be struggling. It'll be, it's... If we finish out of the bottom four, I'll be happy, to be honest. Yeah, I think I said to you that I reckon that you're not going to be a bottom four side, but I, I think that you're going to be, you know, not much more above that. I, I reckon I'll have you pegged at sort of that, you know, 10 to 12 type of range, I reckon, is you guys. Um, maybe you finish like 13th or something. I don't think you'll be bottom three, though. But, yeah, that's that's not really what West Tigers fans want to hear, I'm sure. 
Uh, it'll be the 11th year in a row we missed the semi-finals Barnes. I'm pretty confident of that. How do you think that Maggie's going to go if you guys do miss out? Just um, a bit of real footy talk here. Like, are you are you happy for them just to continue on with him, or do you think they'll start to get a little bit jittery after this year? I think, I think next season is the, the once he's finally, well, he inherited a pretty ordinary roster. It was pretty ordinary, he's been polite, really. And it's taken this long. He's almost gotten rid of a lot of those contracts and stuff that weren't his and players have moved on. There's still a few more to go. Next year, it's pretty much free of that. Yep. So I think next year will be his defining season because he's he's brought in guys like Lolo and Roberts and Tamo and often Gowie. He's starting to build his side now. So if this side doesn't make the semis next year, I think it, it's a bit of a worry for him. Yep. Uh, I, I pretty much agree with you on all that. Uh, let's have a quick look at the gains and losses for the Tigers. So with the gains, um, one of the recent ones is Dane Laurie. He's come across from the Panthers. He's a pretty good buy. Joe Offangawi is over from the Broncos. James Roberts and James Tamau, along with Stefano Utakamanu, who I've probably pronounced wrong, so I apologise, but all those guys are probably going to feature in the top 17 of the West Tigers. So some decent acquisitions there, but uh, losses-wise... Josh Alloy probably provided some underrated minutes. Matt Eisenhuth I really rated, but never really got that much of a shot the last sort of year or two. Harry Grant was obviously a revelation, but I had to go back to the Storm, which is disappointing. Um, guys that are a bit older, like Chris Lawrence, Benji Marshall, still did a good job. Uh, and like Paul Momorowski as well, I actually quite rated for, for you guys, but, um, but he's moved on to the Penny Panthers now to try and get some game time. So... Probably, overall, I guess your gains and losses have probably left you in pretty similar spot, I would guess. Yeah, it hasn't improved. We've strengthened parts and weakened parts. So, yeah, I, I really don't like the spine, to be honest. I think the forward pack's not looking too bad now. It still lacks a genuine 13, like a, a genuine good lock. Tamo will bring a fair bit to the club with the young middle forwards that we've got, which will be good. We've got decent edge forwards. It's just... Hooker, Little, I'm still uncertain on him. You haven't seen enough of him, really. Every time he gets in the game, he gets injured. He's out for long periods, and they got big wraps on young Simpkin, so maybe that's a hope, but the spawn is the real worry for me. I think the rest of the side is not too bad if you had a good spawn, but the spawn of um, Little, Brooks, Dewey, and Envoy is pretty ordinary. Getting Laurie now is a good thing, but they're putting a lot of eggs in his basket, unproven. I, I, I struggle to see whether they're going to make... Oh, we'll go into it later when we look into the supercoach sort of things, but I struggle to see where the tries are coming from with that spawn. Yeah, it's true, because, I mean, Benji, for all his, his faults and his age, still, like you said, created quite a bit when he was on the field. Um, and I thought he was really... When he was on, he was really good for your attack. And Harry Grant's obviously a huge miss in your attack, so... Without those two, it's a yeah, Marshall had Marshall had sixteen tries this last year, which was the top, and the next best was Nofaluma and Grant with eight each. Yeah, so <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's that's a big worry. And you know that your boys aren't going to muscle up and defend and grind out some like shit Bulldogs team wins of fourteen twelve and stuff either. So <laughs> it's, you need some. Massive worry when your winger is the second leading in the try assist area. Yeah. <laughs> Luke Brooks had six tries this last year, like that was terrible. Let's have a look at the draw quickly. So before we go to the super coach players, I, I say on every podcast per se with the draw, I'm really interested in, in definitely the first month, but certainly the first couple of months of the season um, for round one players that I'm picking. I think it makes it a little bit easier, but 
I will say, you know, for the better teams, it's more beneficial to have a good draw uh, for the teams that are worse. So last week I made the point with the Dragons that they've got one of the better draws, but they're so bad that I don't think it's going to matter. I'm not going to put your boys in that boat. I I think you're better than the Dragons, but your draw is pretty favourable, I reckon. So, you know, out of the first 13 rounds, and you guys do play round 13, so there's a a bit of an alarm bell to say that guys that you can bring in and hold are going to be there for the round 13 buy. If not, you can um, target them later on to get your numbers up for that first big buy period. But you've got 8 out of 13 games that are home games, so that's a plus. Um, And I think... One of the things that make the Tigers draw look worse to start with is you start off with the Raiders and the Roosters. But I reckon if you just ignored those first two rounds, the rest of the draw reads pretty well. Um, so after the Raiders and Roosters, you've got the Knights and the Eels to round out the first month of the season. Uh, and then in that second month, you go the Cowboys, Souths, Seagulls and Dragons. And then you lead into the draw with another month of... Lead into the bye with another month of the Titans, the Knights the Warriors, and the Dragons, which is a plum month of football in that third month of the first 12 weeks. So I reckon your draw is better than average, I would say. Yeah, on paper, it's not too bad. Obviously, the first two rounds, probably it's two sides in the whole comp that we performed the worst against the Raiders and the Roosters, which will lead us into the Nofaluma talks later, no doubt. But, um, yeah, it does open up a bit. I'm a little sceptical these days about reading too much in the draw because things change a fair bit, but except when you come to those top sort of six sides, you say, because I would still think the top six sides from last year will be the same top six sides this year. Same. I think the gap is that wide. The Tigers draw does open up after the first month. Yeah, I mean, that does lend itself too to the fact that they do play that first buy. So, I mean, if anything, um, a lot of these guys that you're going to let go and, and not look at from round one, they will at least turn into decent purchases, I think, for after that round seven um, Seagulls game. Round eight, you've got the, the Dragons, the Titans, the Knights, the Warriors, the Dragons again before you hit the, the Panthers, who will be under strength in round 13 in that big buy. So getting some guys on board there looks like a much better proposition than, than round one, doesn't it? 100%. That's, uh, that's where Nuffle Lemmer will come into. Yeah, well, let's have a talk about the players now. So, Nofalum is the first guy to talk about because we're going to start off with the Tigers' guns. And realistically, you know, when you're talking about guns for the Tigers, Nofalum is by far and away the first guy that you're going to talk about. He averaged 76 points a game in 2020. Um, I think it was the season that pretty much all Supercoach tragics were waiting for. You know, we've spoken about Nofo being the premium centre wing option for so many years. And he's kind of, he's been there, but then he's had some games that have sort of dropped his average down a little bit and certain things have happened and he's been dropped because of defence and whatever. Last year was the first year in three years that he actually played the full complement of games. Before last season, 2019, he only had the 14 games, 2018, the 18, and the 25 or 26 round even season. Um, so he played all the games, which is a big plus, And I think his consistency was there too. So he went from um, 50% of his games being 60 plus, in 2019 to 70% of his games in 2020 being 60 plus, which is a huge jump up. And when you're talking about your 60 60 guns per se, to have a centre wing do it 70% of the time, not 60%, is huge. Um, but probably before I get your take on NoFo, a couple of the stats that really stood out for me. One, he's 670,000. And that was because he was the number one centre wing by a pretty fair margin. You know, he averaged 76 points a game. And the second best guy was at 72. That's a pretty big gap between first and second. 
Um, and he did all that through the stuff that we know that Nofo can do it through. You know, he averaged about five tackle breaks a game. Um, only Teddy beat him on averages as far as that goes. Over one offload a game, which was six out of all center wings. Then he had 17 tries as well. Now, that was right up there too. And he had three sub-50s. Uh, and obviously 70% of his game 60-plus. So on paper, Perso, he looks like he's an absolute out-and-out gun, and you know what he is. You know, he, he could be the best center win again in Supercoach this year. But devil's advocate, mate, you know, you said that they start off with a tough draw, and they do, and even though Nofo seems reasonably draw-proof, uh, the thing in the back of my head keeps saying, he can't do any better than this. Like, I would be surprised if he matches... You know, he's 17 tries, yeah, and and the line breaks that he had as well, and the try assists and stuff, they were way up there. You know, we know that he's going to have his offloads and TBs, but is he really going to be up there with everything else, especially with the Tigers' attack? Like, I think that's a big question mark from round one. Oh, yeah, a phenomenal season. <laughs> At the start of this same uh, episode last year, I said I was putting him in my side, and for the same reasons we talk about every year, and I had him all season. I can't pick him this year. 670k for a winger. I just can't do it. As good as his stats were last year, it was it was an incredible season. I don't think his base and base attack will be any less. Yeah, he's got to drop. And for me, that's you you're watching when his BE comes to a um, a nice category. That's probably the first centre wing you want to get. I think he'll be a gun again. He averaged 65, albeit from 14 games in 2019. But uh, it took a while to get back in the side. Uh, Maz dropped him at the start of the year. For his defence, he worked on his defence, got back in the side. Last year he had a career season. He touched on a few of the stats there, but yeah, like the eight tries, his eight line breaks, this on top of all that, 19 line breaks, 17 tries. His base stats have been pretty consistent around that. These raw base stats, or the mid uh, 30s. Again, he was 32 last year, but it was his base attack stats. It's the the phenomenal bit. He averaged 15 a game, tackle busts and offloads. Which brought he, he, with his base and base attack brings him to the the highest of the centre wing at 48 again, which um, is fairly phenomenal for a back. Like his his low games that he touched on, he had a couple of under 50. So his base is there. I don't think his base will change at all. And if anything, it, it might go up with either Laurie or Embi being fullback because neither of them are going to be noted runners. That's a really good point about them being a back as well. Um, he might actually get his hit-ups and stuff up. I guess you'll probably agree to me that he's, he's probably not going to have those high games. He's probably just going to have a really good floor still. But to be able to do a try and a line break almost on average every single game, uh, that's going to be pretty hard to replicate, I reckon. No, I don't think it's sustainable. No. <laughs> as much as I love Nofo, I, I had him in a couple of early drafts. I've just I, I got to let it go. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Because, uh, yeah, he's the guy that you watch. As soon as his price drops to a, a good point, you'll pick him up because you no doubt he'll be in the top five set of wins for the season. But um, you can't spend, surely you can't spend 670 on a guy off of coming off a career year with a, a Tigers that's probably got a worse spine than they had last year and not the best draw. No, you can't do it. And, look, I've, I've spoken about this in pretty much every other podcast, but particularly me and Billy when we've chatted um, and also when I was chatting to Garrity um, week before last two, I was saying, you know, you can't afford to spend on these type of guys too much in your round one side this year because so many people had a phenomenal year last year. You know, the super coach stats were up so much. You had guys like Teddy now come in at the highest price possible that we've ever seen. 
And it's hard to leave one of those guys out. Likewise, Cleary is one of the highest halfback prices coming in around one, if not the highest as well. You know, you're not going to leave one of those guys out so you can have a David Nofaluma in your centre wing. So there's just so many high-priced guns to try and get in your round one side. You know, you, you can't possibly choose a Nofo over, you know, the other top half a dozen guys in each position. No, 100%. You're spending that money. Tedesco, prior to Haas getting suspended, the, the gap between the best prop and from Haas back to the pack was massive. The gap from the best halfback, Cleary, back to the pack is massive. The gap from the best fullback, Tedesco, was massive. You can't pick them all, and you probably have to pick those three and build your side around them because the gap was that massive. Yep. Agree. So, no foes, uh, a stay away. And look, I think the draw lends itself to that too, like you said. He, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes, you know, 55 average the first two rounds or even less. Um, and then he's primed for a decent drop and then away we go type of thing. So, I'm going to be targeting him for that, for that buy. And I think we're going to have a lot of time just to wait and see when he's going to drop and, uh, and to be able to get him in. So, let's move on from Nofo. And this is a bit sad for your, uh, Tigers per se, but, there isn't really any other guns to talk about. So none, Mark. <laughs> it's a barren wise Oh, it's bad. So I've had to go for the the almost in brackets fallen gun. <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit about Twelve. Now, Twelve is a guy that I've really liked for a few years. I actually liked him coming through for the Eels, but he went through a period last year where he was hundred percent a gun when he started off the season, but his overall average ended up being fifty seven points a game, which was less than Gun status, obviously. Uh, average career high in minutes at 59, but I think when you break the season up, you know, you can see where his gun potential is and where he's fallen off. So in his first five rounds of last season, um, he averaged 71 minutes a game and no coincidence, he ended up with 71 points a game, which is huge. He is a base cut beast. That's what he's going to do. Uh, but then he got hurt in that sixth game. Um, after, you know, two out of his first five, he went 80 minutes, but that sixth game he ended up getting hurt. Uh, and when he came back, when you look at his last five games, it was like nine days. His last five games, he only got 53 minutes per game and went 51 points per game as a result. He had zero tack, so you might say there's some attack upside because he had zero offloads all year and six tackle breaks all year. Uh, and he didn't score a try, obviously, because he's got nothing in attack. So you can say that maybe there's a little bit of upside there. He's only a shade over 500k, so he's decent priced for a front row forward in a position that is a bit tough, and he's actually a dual second row forward, front row forward, which is even better. But I guess personally what it comes down to for me, it's going to come down to the coach and what rotation he looks at. You know, Are we going to see a rotation like the first um, sort of five or six weeks of last year where 12 was a big minute 13, or is it going to be the, the, the last month and a half of the season where, where 12 was a 50-something minute 13, in which case you can't go near him? Pretty hard to see, um, and I guess some of that will depend on the bench makeup as well. Yeah, I think I've got to have Twal in the trappish kind of area. Definitely, I don't think he's, he played a couple of those 80 minute games last year, not many, and um, I think around the 55 is his best. And Matt sort of does that. He does, he, he'll have a couple of weeks where he'll play that, and then he'll cut his minutes back. Like the year before last, he ended up putting him back on the bench, and he was playing 50 off the bench. That's the biggest trap thing for me. Even if he comes out around one, when there's a couple of guys out, he might play big minutes, but then it'll drop back again. Uh, interesting, last year, the first two games he scored 78 and 72, and he had a line break in each game. And that's the only two line breaks he's had in his career. <laughs> <laughs> so that inflated that 
a little bit. And then he scored 61 from 80, 64 from 76, 78 from 80. Then he got injured. And then, yeah, as you said, from that, he went back to his normal 50 minutes, 56, 53, 46, 62, 51. His average is pretty poor from there. Um, at his price, he's not the worst. If you're looking to go fairly cheap in the front row and you want someone that's solid, he's like meat and potatoes all day long. As, minutes, as many minutes as he plays, he nearly makes that many tackles. So you're going to get the points. You're not going to have to worry about him having a, a 30 or a 40. You'll get your 50s every week. So if you want to spend money in um, other positions and have him at a reasonably cheapish sort of possible gun, he might play a few extra minutes and get you a few 60s or 70s early on and get some money and while you're building the rest of your side. But um, I like him as a player, but he's just a he's just a tackle bot. He's got no attack in him whatsoever, and especially with the Tigers building their middle forwards this year, they've got a, a plethora of middle forwards. I, I can't see him playing any more than 55 to 60 minutes on a consistent basis. If he's 65 plus, then you know he's, he's actually going to be an okay option to look at. But if he's not 65 plus, then I'd be you know, near him. Uh, I think that you are going to um, have a, a Simkin on the bench there to cover for Little as well. So, I mean, are you sort of seeing like a, a backup hooker, an edge forward and two middles on the bench? Or do you think there'll be three middles on the bench? How, how are you sort of guessing that bench? No, there will definitely be uh, definitely be a um, Simkin for round one, and possibly an edgy as well, more than likely. But then Dewey comes back round two; he's suspended for round one. So it's be interesting to see what um, Match does with Mbai and, and Laurie. And has been training at fullback all summer, but they know they've gone after Laurie to play fullback. Whether he's ready to go in, throw him in. So it, I reckon Laurie will end up being the bench utility. And he'll come on and then Boyle will go to hooker and sub Little and Simpkin will go back and play a few games in Reggie's before he comes back and takes over. For, it's only a matter of time before he takes over from Little, in my opinion. But when that happens, who knows? They've got that many middles, but Musgrave's suspended as well. So this is the where the trap comes in the twelve. He might play bigger minutes these first three or four rounds. And then when Musgrave is back and everything's settled, it'll go back to 50s again. It's it's going to be interesting because you could potentially just have him for that first five or six weeks and then punt him as well um, as soon as you see those minutes drop. And that, you know, if he gets the minutes, that might not be bad, you know, because you can get five good rounds out of a, a pretty well-priced front row forward scoring in the 60s more than likely. But I guess the thing is for me, you're not going to know. Um, I'd probably rather, when you're looking at some of the other options, like I'd probably rather go for a Paul Warren if I wanted to go at 500k. Um, at least Paul Warren was playing low minutes before and might be in a bit more of a leadership opportunity to get more minutes. He's probably better than what Twal is as an option. Um, otherwise, I reckon I'd be going back down to those 300k type of front row forwards instead of Twal and just sort of spending it elsewhere. Because like you alluded to, to the, the drop in the front row forward qualities pretty stark, so you may as well just spend that money elsewhere, I reckon. Yes, it's not the premium position it used to be anymore, that's for sure. Yeah, look, let's move on. We're going to go from the almost fallen gun to a couple of mistakes that you could make when you're with your round one team. And boy, these are a couple of huge mistakes. You know, they're um, the Krispy Kreme dozen donut mistake that you get with your one coffee and think you can eat it. It's um, something that Joey Leilua does pretty often, so good segue into him. Uh, the Leilua brothers are on there for our mistakes, and I'm going to say, per se, that we need to give some props to uh, Lucy because Luciano Leilua had a really good season. Um, he actually saved me a couple of rounds in head-to-heads. He scored 62 points a game, and he played all 20 games as well. So 
He actually had a good season. I really like the sort of um, variance he gave you on the edge sometimes with some of his attack. And he had a few X-Factor sort of games where he did some Leilua type of things. Um, and I didn't think that he was probably... I'm not going to say that he was like a heaps hard worker, but he wasn't as lazy as I thought that he might have been. Whereas uh, Joey, um, he just had a, a shocker of a season. It was his worst Supercoach season since he'd been starting, really. Ended up at 47 points a game, although... It's a bit of a myth with uh, BJ Leilua that um, you know he's he's been this gun in the past and stuff. You know he's had some he's had some tantalising games, but you got to just look at what he does for a season. You know before this forty seven he was fifty fifty one forty seven. He's not been good. He's always been a bit of a spot starter with some pretty tantalising base base attack stuff that he could throw in there. But I know that a few people are going to look at um, you know Luciano and say he was. A, a gun forward last year, legitimately at 62 points a game, and maybe look at him because he's a bit cheaper than some of the other guys. And likewise, I know that I've seen teams with BJ Leilua because they they have this uh, myth in their head that BJ can get back to being this base base attack beast where he carves up and has these big scores, but he doesn't do that across a season. And at 411k, he might trap a few guys, but both of these guys are huge mistakes to throw in your team. I can't see... Luciano doing better than what he did last year. In fact, I think he'll do worse. And BJ's got to be just about done, I reckon. <laughs> BJ's cooked. I hated the signing when we signed him. It was, <laughs> it was terrible. Like, I don't know what they were thinking. Like, 700k a year or something? Like, I, I don't get it. Oh, well, they were after Mitchell, and it was like, we have to sign someone, and it was a typical time. It's like, just throw it at BJ, and, you know. There's all the talk now that he's... His family's come up to Sydney, so he's going to be focused this year and all the rest of it. But the truth is, he's been a fairly lazy player that has moments of um, brilliance at times, and he put it all together in 2016, which was five years ago. That was his penultimate season. So, And that was his penultimate Super Cake season when he averaged 72. Since then, he's gone 46, 51, 50, and 46. Like, that's about what he is. Like... If he puts a couple of games together a season, he could value. So we're stuck with him. Uh, Supercoach-wise, well, you wouldn't go near him. I couldn't believe anyone would want to go anywhere near him. I think it's he's, just a uh, price point because he's in that sort of 400k mark. I think the people are getting desperate to have something in there that looks a little bit like yeah. it's got some spark. But, geez, he's, look, to tell you how bad he is, like I personally has talked about his season back in 2016. Like I, I didn't even give him credit for that season because my data didn't even go back that far. It's that long ago. Like... I thought his best was, you know, 51 or something. <laughs> that was the Leipana. The Leipana season. Oh, of course. And, that was, that was, and that's where it's all come from, from that one season five years ago. And, and that was an anomaly anyway, because he was shit before that. <laughs> yeah, it's just a one blow you away sort of season that, um, that BJ had. And then he sort of lived off that last sort of four or five years, I think. Um, and he made some money out of it too, because the Tigers must have looked at that, because I can't yeah. see what else they were looking at when they gave me that deal. I don't know. It was the same as when they've signed mine and everyone else. They just needed someone, so they signed them. Do you see either, you know, BJ, I mean, you know, when we're being fair to him about it as well, you know, to be fair to BJ, he did only average 47 points a game. If Even if that's eight points underpriced and he can get to a 55, you know, 400-odd K, that's decent value. I, I reckon he's pretty well priced at what he is. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 think, I can't see much improvement in him. He might have a couple of good games here and there where he can, but I think across the season, that's what he is now is pretty well what he's going to be. That's, that's about what he's at. So I, I couldn't go near him. 
as for his brother, he did have a great season last year for us, and um, I think he'll improve as a player. Whether that equates to supercoach, I'm not sure because I'd need to see how a spawn is even going to score points before I'd have Leilua in the side. But I think he'll go better this year myself as a player. But whether that's going to equate to supercoach is another story. Having said that, um, Joey Leilua is switching to the left side to be on the same side with his brother as well. So whether that has any kind of impact, I don't know. It's um, Leilua, Leilua, and uh, Talia, and then. The other side was going to be Sean Bloor, but he's got injured. And so we'll see what happens with the low lures. But um, you couldn't go near him for your first side, surely. Especially with, like, Lucy had a great season and he's at 62 average, priced at fairly premium. You'd have a look at him first. You wouldn't, especially with the amount of options there on the second row, you'd be a brave man to be jumping in on and picking him over some other guys. Yeah, and look, Lucy's going to beat up on some some poor edge defence. It's not something that the Raiders have and it's not something that the Roosters have, so he's not going to do well in those opening games at the minimum. And it's also uh, the type of purchase where, you know, we've already said it, but he plays the Dragons twice in, I think, a four- or five-week period um, when you get sort of six, seven weeks into the season. That's that's prime because, I mean, that's the Luciano revenge game against the Dragons, which I think he got up for last year from memory as well. So you buy him around then, maybe if he dropped a bit of coin. And really, both these brothers, you know, look, you could say that the Leilua's could be decent enough purchases around round 10 um, for that first buy if they both end up real cheap. You know, if BJ does BJ things and ends up at 280000 just jump on him then, use him for the buy, and then you can punt him, but... If anyone starts with either of these guys round one, uh, I just I think it's crazy. 100%. So let's move on to the Big Balls pods. And I've got the halves here for this one. Um, pretty interesting, actually. And this is why it's sort of good to sort of listen to podcasts like this, but also to do them for me too, because there's a lot of players that you just uh, don't, don't look at at all. And when you look at them, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes it's a bit of fun. So I'm going to talk about Aaron Dewey first out of the halves. And look, he's suspended for the first round. So it's it's pretty hard to have him in your round one side. But I will say that, you know, there's there seems to be two types of um, Dewey fan bases. There's the fan base that loves him and thinks that he, he's got a lot of potential. And there's the fan base that thinks he's got nothing and he's useless. I, I actually think that Dewey's quite a handy player. I'm not someone that loves watching the West Tigers per se, but I'm... Kind of excited to see what Dewey's going to do at six. I'm sort of hoping that he's going to do well because I want him to do well. And when I looked at the numbers, there is some interest there. You know, now I'm going to say there's some interest if he's goal kicking. Um, he did have 16 goals last year, but that only ended up about a point a game, so it wasn't a huge, a huge amount. If he's kicking full time, you'd expect that he'd have eight plus points per game upside. And he's priced at 485k as a dual 5.8 fullback. So interesting spot at 5.8 for him. I think a couple of the things that I did like, Perso, and then I'll throw over to you, because you probably think completely opposite to Adam Dewey than what I do, but if you take out the first two games, which had different rules, obviously, to when we had the post-COVID games starting, and also the two injury-affected games, he actually averaged 62 across his other games. So without those four games, his average is actually in the 60s, and that didn't include much kicking at all. So, you know, if you throw kicking in that, and say, well, you know, he's going to be better under the new rules, and he did have the two injury-affected games, which you'd leave out of his average. Then all of a sudden, you know, you've got a guy that might be late 60s even as a as a half if he blooms and it's actually his spot to be in, in that six jersey. 
I thought it was going to be he spotted the fullback jersey and it was a bit up and down. He went through patches of going, uh, you know, bulk points of, you know, averaging 80 over a few games to averaging 30 over a few games. It was a real roller coaster. In the end, he averaged 55 points a game and he comes in at that 485k mark. Now, Perso, forget about round one being out. As far as an option, I actually kind of looked at him a little bit. I just wanted him to be priced at his mate Luke Brooks's rate at 390k. I think if their price points were reversed, he would actually be really interesting. And I would almost, completely crazy big balls pod move, I would almost at 390k just throw him in as reserve 5'8 and leave him there round one and then just play him round two as the only owner of Adam Dewey and just roll with it if he had the goal kicking. Yeah, I think he'll have the goal kicking. He, he, when he took the goal kicking at the end of the season, he was actually starting to kick really well. Really well. It was that game against Manly where he kicked six from six from all over the park and we won 34-32 from nowhere. Uh, he was good at fullback, but he, he's not an attacking player. Like he, like his, his meters were phenomenal. I think that's why they just sort of moved him five eight. I, I like him as a player. If he was playing in a side like Storm or the Roosters, he'd probably be one of the best running five eights in the comp. When you've got the shit spine around him, that's... It, 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 I don't know if there's going to be the pressure to try and create. He's not a creator. There's definitely potential there. It, it all depends on Luke Brooks. We, we, you've talked in the same thing. This is the He's the enigma about it, and we'll touch on that in a second. But if Luke Brooks can find Formia in 2019, that'll take a lot of pressure off Dewey. Yeah, and if Dewey's goal-kicking, he's playing well at six and fits into that jumper okay. I, I actually think that he's a decent look-at now. He's out round one, he's 485k, so you can't do it. But if he was cheaper, I actually reckon that he could go the big balls pod move with what's at 5'8 and go, well, he's cheap enough for me just to throw there. I do think that he's got more upside than, say, you know, if he was in the 300s ballpark, more upside than, say, Lachlan Lamb um, and those type of guys. Um, I'd rather probably have Dewey in there. But as it is, it means that it's going to be four weeks into the season, not three, before he gets a price rise. Uh, so I'm actually going to be having a free look at him. Um, and he's probably out of the Tigers. If I say I'm going to target Nofo for that first buy, um, I'm actually going to look at, depending on how he looks, targeting a goal-kicking Adam Dewey as a reserve 5-8, somewhere in that sort of you know, six to seven round mark, because I reckon that he might go on a bit of a run and be handy for round 13. Yeah, definitely. He's a big body too, and he gets involved. So his base stats are reasonably good. So if they can find some kind of form over that period, definitely. Yep, and that's when they, their, their draw really kicks into gear as well, when they hit that. Definitely that round eight game against the Dragons is a good target for um, for these type of guys. But, you know, I'll have a look at Dewey. As far as Brooks goes, mate, he is 392k, so he is someone that you could just take a, a bit of a punt on because he's cheap enough to do it. There is cause to say there's a bit of upside in his pricing, you know. So he's going to come in at that 392k, and he's going to do that because he had three out of his 17 games that he played last year where he actually played off the bench, and they weren't going to be played many minutes in either. He played 16, 38, and 20 minutes off the bench. But whilst there might be some upside because, you know, he had those three out of 17 bench games, when you have a look at the fact that he only scored 44 points a game and still averaged 70 minutes for that, it looks pretty bad. When you have a look at his actual stats, it looks even worse. Um, he only had three games that were 60-plus, and you know he only had those what, five try assists in 17 games. And as a halfback, that's that's the worst that's it can go. Like, you're just waiting for your... What, what's he doing? Waiting for his one stake a month when he has his try assist, you know? Like, he's, how, how can you even celebrate being a halfback in the NRL if you've got your one... One try assist every calendar month. You know, like, 
Honestly, I don't even know how you can do it because the Tigers were scoring points. And considering he had 24 the season before, <sighs> that's the that's the thing that blows me away. Like 2018, his average for the season supercase is 48.3 at 11 try assists. 2019, he averaged 58.1 with 24 try assists, which was top five in the NRL. It was, I think, it was second actually to Moses. And then, so coming into this season, you think he's coming off that. Well, it was almost a sneaky option at, at, at that to impress. And he just went so backwards. Five tries is, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the glass half full would be that surely he's got to improve on that, right? So at 390k, how much is he underpriced is probably the question, you know, because if he's, if he's got the 58 points back in him, that's 14, you know, 14 points underpriced. But I'd probably say, more realistically, he might be 10 points underpriced. Maybe he's a 54, 55 guy. And that, well, that kind of becomes somewhat interesting. Look, Looking at it, like I said, with 2018, he averaged 48 with 11 trices. Last year, 44 with five trices. So he fights another six trices through the year. He goes up another couple of points. <laughs> yeah. But it's, I, there's two, I don't know. Will he, will he come out of his skin this year with no Marshall? Um, I don't know. I mean, he's, he's, he's done some goal kicking before. I mean, it would have been interesting if he got the goal kicking instead of Dewey, but it looks like that's not going to happen. I mean, if, if Luke Brooks doesn't perform this year, I think they'll be trying to push him very hard to get out of series. So there's all the options there for him to come out and have a good year. But, geez, you're taking him on a massive risk if you're looking at him. Yeah. <laughs> he was dreadful last year, like dreadful. I mean, he is the only one in that spine that's really going to be able to create stuff or has the talent to create stuff at this point in their careers. Like, he, he's the veteran in that spine by a long way. I um, mean, like you said, Dewey is much more of a runner. Little is, like, coming into a make-or-break season where he's got to show that he's a first grader. And probably Laurie's going to be fullback playing his, some of his first handful of games in the NRL. So, I mean, it's all going to be on him. That could mean that he comes out and he is playmaking because they have to lean on him. It could mean that he just falls over in a heap, though, like you said, and they get rid of him. I actually thought that he was in a contract year. Uh, and then I had a look at the contracts to double-check, and he got three more years. years yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Three more years of mediocrity. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it is his opportunity to shine. He's got no more excuses this year. Uh, he's got a decent pack in front of him. It, but that's the thing. He did produce, especially at the back end, when we raged home to ninth place in 2019, he was on fire. If he could find that sort of form without Marshall being there, he seems to be that kind of player. Like if he can, He's a massive confidence player, Luke Brooks. Yep. If he hasn't got confidence, he just he just goes like further back and back and back. So maybe this year it is all on him. Maybe he he might go alright, but yeah, you can't. You probably can't do it. And I tell you what, he's a he's a massive, massive, huge, gigantic elephant-sized balls pod. But um, I, I think that Dewey's a pick out of the two halves if you wanted to pod. But he, you know, he needs to not be suspended for round one, which he is. Going to be interesting. I'm going to be watching those halves to see what happens. Um, let's talk about your mids and cheapies in this Tigers side. Bloor was the big white knight coming through as far as cheapy forwards go. He was going to be the guy that was going to start 200-odd K. He was going to be fantastic. Now it looks like he's out for up to eight weeks. It's a huge blow for Supercoach. That means that we're not going to talk about him tonight. But later on, he's going to be a great downgrade option, no doubt. Other mids and cheapies, though, we've touched on Little. Little comes in at $246,000. Now, 2017 was the last time he got himself meaningful minutes. 
where he went 13 games and averaged 41 minutes per game for 39 points. That was pretty good. Bodes well for his PPM, as, as does the fact that this is actually a contract year for Jacob Little, so he needs to show something as a starting nine for the Tigers to re-sign him and keep him. So I do like that extra motivation. Uh, I do think Simpkin is still a bit green, so you know he might be on the bench, but I would still peg Little for you know 50 to 55 would probably be his floor. And I mean, he only played... 30 minutes a game last year for 31 points a game. So, you know, 50 really is all that he needs to start making some cash at 246k. It's um, it's a pretty hard proposition to pass up for your reserve number nine jersey. Oh, 100%. I've got no problem at all locking him in as a reserve nine, 100%. He, it's his job this year. He's got the role. Um, if he seems to be fit through everything, there's no way he's not going to play 50 to 55 minutes minimum, probably more. Uh, maybe we might start from that. As I said, with Dewey, Oregon Simkin will be on the bench. There'll be no bench utility, so he might play 55. Simkin might play a bit, but 100% Simkin will spend his time early in Reggie's, build his form back up, especially last year with COVID and there not been any game time for any of the second-tier sort of guys. So Little should make good money. Whether he, and he's very good at a dummy half if he's fit. He can make, there might be a couple of line breaks here or there. So he's got potential to make some good money, but you would think he'd almost get away with playing him as your 7 8 player early on. Yeah, I was going to ask you that whether you think that he's going to be good enough to put in your 17. So you think that you can, you're, you're planning on throwing him into your 17 from here on? Well, it depends which way you're going. At the moment, I've stacked it back row, so I've got him out of it, but now with, Turbo getting injured at fullback and things, I'm starting to rethink where I'm spending that money. So I might, especially, I've gone heavy in the second row just because there were so many options like Bloor and Ricky and uh, Ford and all those sort of guys, and I was a bit wary about a lot of them. So I figured to go heavier there, wait for two or two, and then you can downgrade, which is starting to look like Ricky might be a serious option, so I can drop a gun and then spend money elsewhere. So if I do that, then, yeah, little comes into consideration for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple of other big questions with um, picking Jacob Little that I know a lot of people have had as well. And it's not about not picking him, really. Like, some people have said, well, you know, with the nines are they, as they are, when you've got the um, potential Connor Watson 13 jersey and Jacob Little looking so good, would you run both of those guys? And then the second question also becomes, well, if you're not going to run both of those guys, um, who would you choose out of, say, a Watson and a Little? And, I mean, even a Braley at Newcastle with the draw that he has, he's quite a bit more expensive, like 90k or more expensive, but he's got a great draw and he's looking at 80 minutes. So, I mean, there is a little bit of a log gem almost in these um, these cheap mid-range type of number nines that you could have for round one. 100% there is. I'm a- I've got, I've had Watson Little as my hookers for a while. The more I'm looking at it, I'll probably end up dropping one of the back rowers and picking up a cook or something at uh, hooker just for that stability. I think Watson, I'll probably slip to the 508. I'll still probably run Little as well. But you're right, there's a lot of options. All those sort of, it's 5-8 the same. There's all these little mid guys. Which ones you're going to pick? Which ones are going to be the right ones? Got Little as my second hooker behind Cook at the moment. I've actually decided right now with my build to go two cheap five eights. But if I didn't go the two cheap five eights, I'd be going the two cheap hookers. Um, and one of them would definitely be little. I think the little's too cheaply priced to leave out of any side. Um, I'm going to say he's close to a must have, 
but because of the other options, I'm not going to go quite all the way and say he's a must-have. Yeah, 100%. I don't really agree with must-haves, but I agree with it. Uh, James Roberts, another enigmatic personality. So, I mean, it makes sense why James Roberts would be signed by the West Tigers because, I mean, they signed Le Lewis, so why not just accumulate all all of these guys yeah. that are <laughs> reclamation projects? And <laughs> it's like the... Let's just keep both these guys on. The, on let's just keep both edges even. <laughs> But it's it's like one of those people that um that starts watching the block and then decides that they're a um a, a knockdown rebuild expert and they just start going around and becoming a builder and they they buy three four five six properties and they want to gut all of them and sell them all and whatever but they don't end up getting through any of them you know that's kind of like what the West Tigers have been doing to me they're just buying all these projects and I don't think they're going to get any of them where they need to be um and that's probably the big issue you know I reckon James Roberts. If they didn't have some of these other signings, probably would be a decent crack. But considering all the other types that are similar type of signings to him, I just I was surprised that they even bothered to go there too. Yeah, you gotta trust him, Madge, I suppose. This is this is his legacy he's leaving now. Can't blame anyone else for all these other ones we've had, so Well, I mean as far as James Roberts, the super coach player goes, he is coming in as cheap as he could be at two hundred and seventy seven K. He only scored 35 points a game in 2020, which was an absolute write-off of the season. It couldn't have been worse. You know, he had everything thrown in there. Had the injuries. Um, he had the 63-minute game where he got hurt. He had the 20-minute game because he came off the bench and he got a minus five. You know, he only played six games for the season. It's an absolute throwaway of the season. And by far and away, he's worst ever. Um, very similar to BJ Leilua, like, per so in the fact that some people think that James Roberts is, is a gun that could blossom again, whereas, you know, I always shake my head because, to me, James Roberts has never been that fantastic a player, super coach, and he's only got the one season where he scored 60 points a game, and it was on the nose 60 points a game in 2017, and since then he's gone 46, 42, and 35. I, I'm going to make the big call that, you know, I would rather get an unproven rookie in centre wing that's cheap or even around that 250k mark over a James Roberts just because he's had a number of years now where he hasn't looked very good. But devil's advocate again, you know, 35 points is very low. If he could just get to 46 points a game for 2018, that's a pretty big increase. You know, 11 points a game under value at 277k, you can edge towards 400, make some decent money. Um, off chance that he does go on a try scoring spree and get in the 50s. I just really don't know what to make of him this year because he hasn't really played much football the last two years. So you tell me, you know, where do you see James Roberts in 2021? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think there's potentially not... I I agree with you totally. He's not going to be an option for the whole season. He's never going to be a gun. He never has been a gun. He had that one season you touched on, 2017, where he was borderline gun. Again, he's gone through... All the mental health stuff and then just sort himself, new club, new lease of life, which is all well and good. Um, problem is he's got the shit spawn, he's running off. He's never been a noted, um, base player. Doesn't really rack up the base stats. So, and the Tigers draws pretty ordinary for the first couple of rounds. So I don't, if you're picking him, what are you doing with him at 277k? You're going to play him and he's going to rock up a couple of 20s or 30s in the first couple of rounds. I think there's better options to start with. I think he's a guy to look at. There'll be, I reckon, no doubt, there'll be a point where he'll go on a bit of a run. They might get it when the Tigers draw happens up. If they start playing well and they, they hopefully can play some expensive football, who knows? But, 
Yeah, that's the sort. You'd watch him and watch his BE, pick him up. He could be a buy round option. They might go, but he's not going to be anything like. But Tigers, you look at guys when he had that 60 average, as same with like Lua when he had that 70 average. He was a camper at a side that was their peak. He had that 60 average when he was at South, the side that was their peak. You're dropping back to Tigers. You're not going to the Melbourne Storm. You're not going to improve. That's the thing. So with those sort of guys, uh, you could get him early and he, he's going to make coin at some point, but you could have be stuck with him for weeks before he makes coin. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. He could he could legitimately drop coin the first price for us. Like I, I could 100% see him drop 20 grand from you know this 277 price point. He could throw up stinkers against the Raiders and the Roosters. And this is what I think a lot of people don't quite understand with your round one selections when it comes to the mathematics of Supercoach. Like just because a guy's cheap at 277k. You know, we spoke about it last week on the podcast with Tommy Powell that you know Staines is 300k. Now, that, that's reasonably cheap pricing for Supercoach, but it doesn't mean that he's just going to make money straight away. You know, he could easily drop cash the first price rise. That James Roberts put up 17 points his final game of last year in an 80-minute performance. You know, like, that's, that's James Roberts. He could do that the first two weeks in a row. And that's, that's price drop material come, you know, round four or five. So... I, I actually think that you should not go near him. I actually think you should go elsewhere because Roberts hasn't been healthy for a couple of years. He's been in and out of rehab. You don't know what his mental spot's going to be like, and I don't think that there could be a worse... There could, I, I lie per se. I was going to give you Tigers a bit of crap there, but there could be worse places to go to <laughs> for his circumstances, but there's a lot of better places oh. he could go to as well. There's <laughs> <laughs> not many. We're, we're a graveyard. If he went back to Brisbane, I reckon it'd be worse. If he went to the Warriors, I reckon it'd be worse for him. If he went back, uh, yeah, there's probably only a couple, but the Dragons would probably be worse for him. He probably got a handful. Yeah, but he's the type of player to score two tries and only get 60 points too. That's the thing. I'm going to say that I'm, I'm staying away from him, and I don't want to 100% say that to the listeners, but I think he's pretty close. The amount of options that are going to be between that rookie and and 300k mark in the centre wing, I'd rather go all those options, including the younger kids. Um, including, you know, guys like we've already spoken about uh, Anu in um, the Broncos' back line now. He's very cheap at 230k. There's obviously the option of Staines, who, you know, is around the same price point, who I'd probably rather, even though I'm not big on Staines. But it's also guys like Fusatua are only 250k, and at least, you know, they're going to go for tries on the wing. Like, I just, I think there's that many options per se that you just stay away. Yeah, too much of a risk. So Joe Offer and Gowie was the um, other signing that you guys brought in. Um, and I tell you what, you know, if I go go into the annals of the All-Stars podcast and, and bring out an archive of four years ago, I reckon I could find a little soundbite if I was so inclined of Wilfred talking up Joe O, saying he was going to be the next big forward and everything. But, that wouldn't be uh, surprising for them. <laughs> <laughs> Well, a lot of Broncos fans are pretty big on Joe O, and I believe the hype a little bit. And, you know, I think the eye test, he looked okay when he first came onto the season, a scene, and he had the, the size and everything about him. Problem is, he's hit his mid-20s now, and he hasn't really done a hell of a lot. Um, so, comes in at 374k, and he's doing that because he's coming in after averaging 38 points a game last season. Mm. Played 48 minutes a game last year, though, pretty right. sneakily. So, like, a lot of people, I think, are looking at him going, oh, you know, he's, 
playing off the bench. He you know, didn't get enough minutes. He's going to get heaps of opportunity. He might start at the Tigers. He might start at the Tigers and get two minutes more. You know, and he's got a 0.8 ppm, and that's a ppm that's sort of been pretty much the same, even if he's in the middle, and even if he's played bigger minutes, it's it's not been great. So, even if you look at his you know 60 plus minute games, it's not phenomenal. So I, I sort of think that um, Joe at 374k, I, I've really got no interest in him, um, and I think a lot of it's t- tied to the fact that aside from having a poor ppm, really for a, a middle guy. He's been in the league long enough to show this is what he is, and he had 48 minutes a game last year. How much more can he really get in that Tigers side? Even as a starter, could you even see him getting, you know, late 50s to 60 minutes a game? Nah, not with the middles they got. Not a chance. I think you hit the nail on the head there, Barnsley. Uh, I look the same stats myself. 38 average for 48 minutes last year. Like, I think people were thinking maybe he wasn't getting the minutes and. <laughs> 48 minutes, that might go to 55. Yeah, I couldn't go near him, to be honest. PPM of 0.8. And he's meat and potatoes. He's got no attack in him whatsoever. So he's got bugger all offload. Nah. Yeah, I mean, his raw base in 48 minutes a game was 37. Like, yeah, I mean, terrible. It's, when you consider that someone like 12, you know, was doing like 75% better than him in, in raw base per minute basis. Like, it's just ridiculous when you look at Joe. It's, he's, he is someone who's going to drop money. Um, and if he starts, I think then he might trap a few people because he's going to have to show something completely different to what he's dished up the last, you know, four, four odd years of football. And I just don't see it. I reckon he's pegged for about 52 minutes and that extra, that's going to be an extra two and a half points a game, which is nowhere near worth it. But a guy that's a lot more interesting person, um, and again, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, so I'll apologise to Stefano. Yuta Kamanu, he, uh, he's come across from the, uh, the Eels, and I will learn how to pronounce that pretty soon. But when you're looking at him, he, he really has nothing to look at as far as um, numbers and stuff because he's only played the three games, and they're all pretty small-minute games. So you can't really take anything away from it, you know. He averaged 14 points a game in his eight minutes a game across his three games that he played in 2020. There's nothing there to really look at. But as a rookie-based guy, if he's on the bench, he might be one of the the better prospective PPM guys coming off the bench that could actually make a decent amount of money. Um, but the problem is that it's going to be a slow burn because of the middle rotation, like you suggested. But I understand people throwing this guy in quite a bit because there isn't that many... Unless you go through a complete enough in your forward pack per se, there isn't really many of these type of guys that are bottom dollar, you know, 172k rookie priced that you can throw in your pack just so you can make everything else work. So I completely get throwing him in. Where do you sort of see his minutes at or, or, or how Madge sort of uses him? Do you think that he's only going to be a 15 minute forward or something again? Or do you think that he's going to get a little bit more moving over the Tigers? Oh, I think there'll be more. Um... They chased hard for him. They wanted to get him last year. Tried really hard to get him off power last year and couldn't. I know um, Wacko's got big raps on him too. But all the comparisons to Payne Haas and all that sort of stuff, I don't think uh, Madge will use him with big minutes. I think he'll lose him into it. But um, there's not a lot of bottom dollar cheapies this year in any position, really. And he's going to have plenty of opportunities here, so... I'm quite happy to lock him in as a fourth front rower. You'll make some, give you a slow burn. Tigers are fairly injury prone too. <laughs> so, it, 
I don't reckon it'll take him long before he get bigger minutes, especially with the guys that we were talking about that aren't that great there either. So. Yeah, you've got a couple of guys too that, you know, aside from the injuries, you've got guys like Musgrove that, you know, for every hit up he takes, he decides to get suspended for something else, it seems like. Yeah. You know, there's there's a yeah. lot of lot of guys that are out of that pack um, that seem to just keep going down, and even now is out for the first eight weeks. So even though he's an edge, like that whole pack seems to have guys going down. So you'd expect that he's going to get the opportunity. McKaylee, who I've really rated, he's actually in a contract year. I don't know whether that means that he's going to go off or whether, you know, Maggie's going to go off him and start to give minutes to this kid, which which I could see happening as well. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what that was at, because I rate McCarley as well, but he, Madge doesn't give him the minutes, whether he's capable of the minutes, so that's what Madge, he wants out of him, is just that sort of the 30-odd he's playing, but I really like McCarley, but um, all the talk about uh, Yuvika now, you know, where are you saying? <laughs> 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 we'll learn that through this season. But um, yeah, they reckon he's a big minute player, so we'll see what happens to this season. But he's not going to get it early, that's the thing. But at that price, it, like I said, there's not many bottom dollar players anywhere this year. There's look, a lot of cheapies in centre wing that are close to bottom dollar, but the actual bottom dollar sort of guys, there's not many. So you, you get away with picking him and hoping for a bit of luck, I reckon. Yeah, oh, I think that's fine to throw him in there. He, he looks like he's got—he's a good eye test guy. Where he does, he's limited playing um, in the top grade, but also if you watch some of his, you know, bottom grade, lower grade games, he actually looks really good. Um, and I reckon Mako's on the money. I think that he does look like he's going to be a, an NRL player for a number of years. He looks like the type of guy that's going to have a high PPM. Um, and if you are going to pick the super coach poison spot of a bench forward, especially bench prof, you. you You'd want to do it with a guy that's not going to be a plotter and have a, a really good high PPM, and I think that he will, so he might be able to save us. Um, and, uh, you know, th- that's the difference between having, you know, a 15-point AE score as a bench forward to maybe a 32-point a um, AE as a bench forward, which is a lot more palatable. So I, I think he's fine. Throw him in there. Gold Coast Titans, let- let's get on to them. Now, they're a side on the up and up a little bit more. Now, they've had some pretty good recruitment um, the last couple of years. 2021 games for the Gold Coast Titans. Herman SASA is decent, come across from the Knights. Tino Fasamali is going to be a huge signing from the Storm. Big Tino is going to start. David Fafita is also going to start from the Broncos. So those two starting forwards uh, are going to add a lot of punch to that pack. Um, Patrick Herbert's come over from the Warriors as well, which is looking like he's going to be fighting for a starting spot as well. Losses-wise, really, Jai Arrow is a pretty big loss um, for their pack, but they've more than made up for it. All the rest of the guys that they've lost, you know, I have to give it to the Titans. The, the other guys are, weren't playing, and they were a bit of a they were a bit of an anchor on their salary cap. You know, like if they re-signed Ryan James, it would have been too much money. Bryce Cartwright, you know, is a lot of money that's come off the cap. Shannon Boyd's a lot of money that's come off the cap. Um, Nathan Peets was released, and he was on good coin when he was there as well. So. They've done well to free up a lot of money. Having said that, they've reinvested a lot of it in Big Tino and Dave Fafita, so they obviously believe in those guys. Uh, I'd say that it's a it's a good upgrade in the signings that the Titans have made for 2021, per se. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's good signings on paper, that's for sure. Fafita and uh, Tino, great additions to the pack. They have strength in the outside backs, too, with a lot more depth. I still have a few doubts about their spawn, though. Brimson really came on last year. He can stay fit. I really rate him as a player. But the hooker, Mitch Rowe, I don't know. Taylor, 
sort of starting to come on, maybe. I like their pack. I really like the, the, the Tides pack. So where do you see them finishing in, in 2021? What do you think their kind of range is? They're in that same bracket. They're not anywhere near the top sort of six. Oh, I think there's a massive gap between the top six sides and the rest of the comp. They could finish anywhere from seventh to sort of 14th or so. I don't think they can challenge the top sides. Maybe all the rumours about Cam Smith might have gone there and all the rest of it could have changed something different. But uh, on their current side, or they, they should definitely be pushing for the bottom end of the top eight. Yeah, I've probably got him in that 8 to 14 range as well. So that's sort of where I see him. And some people might think, you know, that 13, 14, 12th even is a bit harsh. But there's, I've said this so many times, hey, and you know it as well, like when you're on social media and stuff and you say, look, I, I don't think X team's going to go well. I think they're going to finish in the bottom four or whatever. And then you get the fans come out and say, no, nah, what are you talking about? They've improved heaps. They've got all these sightings. Well, and you're like, well, yeah, like I'm not saying that they're dog shit and like being down on them. I'm not. I'm not a hater, as a lot of them want to tell tell me. Like it's just that the NRL just has so many teams that are so that are such that similar point. standard. You know, like you don't really have terrible teams. And I was saying this to Garrity a couple of weeks ago. Like it's it's not me saying the Titans are terrible, saying they could finish 14th. It's just like who are you going to put in front of them? You know, like someone like the Bulldogs could easily overtake them with the signings that they've made. Um, the the teams that missed out, the ninth and tenth teams aside from the Titans last year, you know, a decent side like Manly could be a top eight side. Like they've got to beat these other sides. It's not about the quality of their team on paper. Oh, any one of the the twelve sides that aren't the top six sides could finish anywhere from seventh to sixteenth. Oh yeah, it's just it's that type of competition where, and that's one of the. It's one of the drawbacks, but also the qualities of the NRL competition. You know, one of the drawbacks is, you know, I think I think a lot of people lament that there's only sort of four really good sides each year for the last few years, maybe, um, and then it really falls off. But, you know, the good thing about it is that you don't have, like when you look at the Super League sometimes, you don't have like three or four sides at the bottom that are perennial cellar dwellers that are just shithouse. Like, that doesn't really happen in the NRL too much anyway. I mean, even... Even sides like the Broncos, they've got the wooden spoon last year. You know, they're not they're not the type of club that are going to get the wooden spoon for three or four years in a row. You know, they'll be better. Might get it for two. Might get it for two, yeah. That's, I told Wilfred that in the first podcast, don't worry. <laughs> so, as far as their draw goes, it starts off pretty nicely. Like, I don't mind it. Yeah, it, it really does. So, first up, they've got the Warriors, then they hit the Broncos. And they hit the Cowboys. That's three really nice matchups with the Warriors, Broncos, and Cowboys. I think they match up really well with all those sides. And the thing to remember too that even though the Warriors are in there, the first three weeks they're not going to leave Queensland. So that's a plus. So even though two of those three games are technically away games, they're they're still in the same state, which is a big plus for the Queensland teams. Then they hit on the Raiders, uh, the Knights. Both of those at home though. So all of a sudden we're five weeks in, and they still haven't left the sunny state of Queensland. And then they've got the, uh, the Seagulls in round six, followed by the Rabbits, the Broncos again, the Tigers, the Panthers, the Bulldogs, the Sharkies, and the Storm in round 13, which is a great time to get the Storm, because more than likely, you know, the main guys like Pappenhaus and the Munster, etc., are going to be out on rep duties. So they actually manage a pretty good first half of season run, the Gold Coast Titans, and that's why I think some people are interested in a few of their players more than other seasons. So let's jump in straight away their biggest gun in their side, and that is young Brimson. Now, you, you mentioned Brimson yourself, Perso. He had a phenomenal season, but because of that phenomenal season, 
it's unfortunate that he comes in at a massive price point of 650k. He also played fullback exclusively for the first time, so it means that he's a fullback only. He's priced that high because he averaged 74 points a game. Phenomenal season. Um, when you look at the numbers, though, it's pretty crazy. He he only played the nine games. But in those nine games, he had seven tries and 14 line breaks, which is insane. Um, tackle breaks are also over four per game. Uh, but when you have a bit of a look at it, you know, he's, that's all the sparkly stuff. That's all, all the big attack. But his raw base is 25, which is pretty average for a fullback, really. And two of his nine scores are actually 17 and 18, when obviously he didn't get any tries or line breaks. So it's a little bit hard what to make out of young Brimson because on one hand, you know, as far as the eye test goes, he's a hugely talented player. In real life, the Titans are really lucky to have him, and I think that he's really going to come on. In the supercoach side of things... Um, he is a guy that screams he needs heavy attack to keep going anywhere near what he was doing and that he can't, well, likely can't go 74 points a game again on that small sample size of nine games. I guess it's a real hard one per se because now all of a sudden Brimson's writing calculations as a second fullback pot option because obviously Turbo's out, Pong is out for the first month of the season as well. Uh, so the popular two are obviously Tedesco and Pappenhausen, but some people I think are looking at either saving money on Teddy or maybe even punting Pappenhausen if he doesn't have a kick in. And all of a sudden, someone like Alexander Brimson pops up as a, a bit of a pod special at 74 points per game. So I understand if you looked at the last couple of months of last season, you'd say, wow, I'm pretty interested. I'm a bit more pessimistic, mate. I sort of see this insane, the type of attacking stats that he managed to do. But he does have a decent draw, so maybe you can replicate it. I was a Teddy Turbo, man. Um, I was set on that. That was the, I was set on that without having to think about it. Same. Now that, um, Turbo's gone down, it's sort of throwing about all these different possibilities now. And I've sort of looked at Brimson the same way have you had. And to be honest, I, at that price, I can't take him. He, he's, he's injured all the time. He put together eight games last year, obviously sensational eight games. And the, the thing that you touched on there with the seven tries, then the 14 line breaks, so there's not many players that have Double line breaks, they do tries. It was, well, you just got attacking stats and attacking stats and attacking stats at the back end of last year. And the, the Titans went on a really good run. But so it's, it was an end of season run. The Bulldogs have done that for the last two years, got end of season runs and players going runs. And then it starts the next season and they drop right back to where they were at the start of it. I couldn't take him. It's a, it, just cause the 73 average, 74 average, like 651k is guffo. Parra's got a pretty good draw. Uh, two of Artashek, you could argue, at 58, it's probably undervalued. There's sort of, you're taking really on trust that the Titans are going to go on a massive run early and he's going to be a big part of it. So it, it's too much of a risk for mine because he could just, like you said, 18 and 80 minutes. That was his first game last year when he came back and he threw out another 30 there at some point as well. So he throws out a couple, a couple of those early at that price. Dylan Edwards is, you know, 69 points a game, five points price less than what um, Alexander Brimson is. His base stats are pretty solid. <laughs> yeah. Get that low score that you're going to get with a Brimson. Yeah, those low scores are, are what's killer too. And this is also like a bit of a segue into, you know, what type of player you actually are in Supercoast too. Because if you're, if you're an overall player, you can stomach it a lot more if you only play overall because it's going to even out. You know, like even though he was getting that, you know, 17 and 18 points last year, he still got his 74 average, so it's fine. But if you're a head-to-head player, and especially if you're in some big, you know, head-to-head cash leagues, 
Brimson could lose you any week, any given week. You, you'll lose on Alexander Brimson because you'll throw up one of those small scores, you know. So it's a bit, it's a little bit harder if you're really in your head to head to have those type of guys. You really want guys that are going to have a decent floor that aren't going to kill you. Um, I guess the other thing that you touched on too, per so that is a really good point is you, you mentioned that he's injured quite frequently. Not a good injury to have, you know. If you've got a back injury and it keeps you out for that many games, it's as a young fellow with a bad back, it's it's pretty scary. hundred percent. That's not a good injury to have at all. I mean, you can so, get back spasms from that or something as well. And then all of a sudden, you've got a guy that you're going to have to sit for one or two games, which is really annoying early on as well. Even if it's a bit ginger, the coach is going to sort of manage him. So then he might miss a couple of games just the precaution to letting the spasm settle down, and then he'll come back in again, which is super coach wise is terrible. Yeah, oh, I think that there's a few better fullbacks to go for if you want to pod. Um, I'm actually really hard. I'm looking at Gutho really hard at the moment because they've got a draw quite like the Titans' draw. Um, and Gutho's, what, 50k cheaper? Um, and he's playing a lot of Bank West as well. So much like these guys played in Queensland, I just think that he's a bit more of a known commodity. So as a comparison point, um, I'd rather go for him. I'm trying to convince myself not to pick Gutho at the moment. I've <laughs> <laughs> got that draw is juicy as I, I really like him. I'm probably going to go with him, to be honest, as my second fullback up, turbo left. Jeez, we're going to have the same side again. <laughs> <laughs> look, to finish off on Brimson, I, I'm not down on him as an option. Like, I understand why people look at him. It's just, I think that if he was 550,000, he would be a plum option just to throw in there and just, you know, go for it. And hopefully he just takes off. But at the 74 price point at 650k, it's just, it's just too much money, I think, to bother with that second fullback spend. You know, it's 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 in that elite tier one category of pricing when he's not there as a fullback. So I think that you're paying overs as far as the the type of tier that he's in in the fullback spot. But let's move on to one of their other guns, and that was Mo Fedoaka. Now, Big Mo had a really consistent season. Um, pretty much like a lot of raw base with him, but it's 55 raw base per game. Had no tries and and pretty limited attack, but. When we talk about guys like Alex Twelve per se that are in the front row forward spot that are just sort of meat and potatoes, um, but very consistent, Mo's very much in that mould. He averaged being on 60 points a game, uh, 58 minutes a game, and you expect that he's going to get at least that again. So if you wanted someone a bit consistent, it's sort of just over 500k, 528k. He's going to give you around that. Um, you could argue that he's only 21 years of age, so maybe he improves, maybe he gets a few extra minutes. And then all of a sudden that 60 goes to 65. So, you know, a few people have asked about him. I don't think he's very popular though, so he's certainly going to be a pod. He's not going to have huge games, but certainly very consistent in that Titans pack. I don't think you uh, as we're talking, uh, front rows just gone barren. <laughs> Do you, you mean potatoes front rows? I'd much rather photo Waker than, uh, Twile, that's for sure. Um, and he passes the eye test a bit more too. He's got a bit more in him. Um, his stats, pretty good, as you said, 59 average last year. He's uh, base 55. Glad base attack with six gets him up to just about 60. Uh, 50 plus games last year, he played 16. And his average was 61.75. And in 60 plus games last year, he had played seven and his average was 66.57. He's, as you said, he's only young. If anything, he's going to sort of play those minutes more 
especially if um, sides are looking for that one middle forward that can hold that sort of ruck and then they're going for the uh, the lighter sort of ball-playing lock, which a lot of clubs seem to be going at. So oh, he's definitely not the worst to start with, Fotowaga, and he's always a, um, a pot as well. He's going to get you that sort of 55 to 60, which I think that's all you need from a prop at the moment. The start of the season, when you pick a few cheapies that are making money, you just need that one meat and potatoes guy that's going to get you that solid 60 points a week. Yeah, oh, I think you do as well. He's sort of in that same bracket as sort of the twelves, the Vaughns, and then some of those 350k sort of guys as well, um, as far as which one you go for. I uh, I like him. I, I think he's a good player, um, and I wouldn't surprise me if he actually improves. I'm not going to go with him myself. I just don't see the upside yet, but I wouldn't talk anyone out of going for him as a sort of foundation, like steady um, type of guy. I think one of the things that might work for him is I don't see them... I don't think they're going to run me train for 80 minutes a game. They're probably going to have a utility on the bench. And whether they're going to use, like, Tyrone Peach as a utility or they're going to throw, like, a an actual hooker on there or a, a type of hooker like Aaron Clark or something, it's going to be interesting what that bench looks like. Because, I mean, Herman SASA is going to be on there and then you're probably going to have another middle forward on there. So if they've got Peachy and then, say, like, a utility type on there, then I think that pays well for Mo, because I mean, would you agree, Perso, that out of those middles, Mo's probably the guy that can play the more minutes best, or he's best with more minutes, and he's probably going to get them out of that pack. Yeah, hundred percent. He's got a big motor for a big fella, definitely. But as you just said, then they got a lot of middle forwards, so it'd be interesting to see what the rotation is. Jalen Joffrey was very good from last year as well, and the, the Sony coming off the bench and. Wallace as well is in there. There's a lot of middle forwards, so but definitely um, Fotowaga should you'd be wanting to build him as the the alpha forward because he just holds the middle. Yep, I agree. He's a he's a decent option to consider. Uh, the next guy is a much more popular option though, the rising gun that is Big Tino. So Tino just seems to have every super coach salivating this year. Um, everybody's loving him, uh, and it does help that he's a front row forward, second row forward duel. But I, um, I'm a little bit disappointed, per se, because I thought, you know, when I do do the Gold Coast Titans, I was going to be able to argue with someone about Big Tino, but I think that we're on the same page. <laughs> I don't think, neither of us own him, and I think that we're a little bit low on him compared to the Supercoach community. So going through the tail of the tape, he's, um, he's going to come in at over 500,000. Which, you know, isn't bad, 505,000. Um, but he's doing that because he still averaged 57 points per game last year in 46 minutes. So, you know, I think what a lot of people are looking at is, well, you know, 46 minutes a game. I've even had some people say, oh, look, he could play 80, you know. <laughs> and, yeah. That's not going to happen. Uh, that's not going to happen. And then other people say, well, could he play 65? And I, I don't see, I don't even see him playing in the 60s, you know, but he's, he's got. playing 54. Yeah, I don't think that he can play more. Like, I don't think even at his stage of his development, like, whilst he might work towards it, I don't think that he can be a huge minute player just yet. But his PPM was huge, you know. So if he played 55 minutes a game, um, that should see him go to mid-60s on an average very easily, even with his PPM dropping a little bit. So I completely get it. I understand why people are looking at him. And look, there's a decent chance that you're going to be right and you'll be able to hit on Tino. The thing that I think a lot of people are missing, though is that seven from his 19 games, he scored a line break try. And pretty much everything was off Cam Smith. 
Now, obviously, the Gold Coast Titans aren't the Melbourne Storm. And I'm going to go out and live here and say Mitch Rain is not Cameron Smith. So <laughs> if you take away that those uh, that big strike rate of line break try off him um, and even just, you know, say, well, you know, he's probably got two or three less of those in him at the Titans, which is very reasonable. All of a sudden, his PPM drops quite a bit. Um, and you might be paying for a guy that's sort of getting 55 minutes a game and 57 points a game. Um, and that's sort of the same points that he averaged for the 2020 season, uh, which, you know, isn't terrible, but I don't think it's going to meet expectations of a lot of the super coach community. That's kind of the elephant in the room as far as his try scoring and how he was doing it and how that's going to translate to the Titans. And that's just talking if he's going to get more minutes. They do have a lot of other forwards to feed that are very good. We spoke about Mo and his minutes aren't going to drop. You know, I'm sure he's going to get more than 46 minutes a game, but if you just got 50 minutes a game, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, and that's not really necessarily going to lock you in for gun scores either. 100% agree. We've had this conversation before. He had six tries in his last 10 games. Well, every single one of those was off a of Cameron Smith try assist. So he's not got that anymore. Just for that, Mitch Rain. Yeah, sorry, not really Cameron Smith. The rest of his stats, I know you look at these and he did not expend... Every one of those games exclusively in the middle. He had a bit of a games on the edge last year, but his stats aren't that great. His PPMs aren't that great. He's not going up there to get massive minutes. He's not a massive minute player. He can play 80 on the edge. Pretty much every NRL player in the forward in the comp can play 80 minutes on the edge. But games he had last year were under 50 minutes. Yeah. His 50 yeah. minute games, take the tries out, his PPM was 0.83. It's not that great. I don't like taking tries out, but I'll take tries out because every one of them that he scored last year was purely off a, off the back of the, the storm middle and Smith opening up the line and putting him over. Normally I don't do that, but every single one of his tries was the same scenario. So eight games over 40 minutes with no try last year. He averaged 50.38 with a PPM of 0.89. You go to the Titans, you look at their spawn, <laughs> It's not anywhere near as good as the Storms is. And what's that age-old saying from player forwards, particularly forwards that look like guns at the Storm, they leave and go to other clubs. When do they ever actually excel past what they were at the Storm? Yeah. I think Tino will be an exception because he's got a lot of talent, but I, I think it might take a bit of time at that club before he becomes it. And he's not going to be a superstar like everyone's thinking. Oh, he's left the storm and he's only playing middle minutes, so he's going to go there and he's going to score 70 points a week. That's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, 46 minutes a game is, is decent minutes. Like, uh, it'd be different if he was playing 30 minutes off the bench or something. But playing 46 minutes a game, that's, that's decent minutes for a middle forward. And that's the thing, like, you touched on the edge minutes versus the middle minutes. Like, as a middle, he can't possibly be at his age and also going across the times in a new club. He's not going to be playing 60-plus minutes a game. So the upside with the tries and everything is, is limited um, as far as his ceiling. I'm not going to say don't buy him because I think that he's a fantastic young player and I think that he definitely could average 60s. Um, I would just say that I think expectations need to be put in check that maybe it's not going to be as successful as what you think it's going to be. And he is going to have some lower games too because a 45 base for a guy that's you know playing in the middle isn't that great? Um, and he could very well have like a 50-ish base playing, you know, 50-something minutes. And it's just going to be pretty average in the scores that could come out. So 
certainly if you if you've got a gut feeling on him, he's, he's only twenty one years of age. Just go for it. That's fine. But just put your expectations in check. I think he's the best advice person. Yeah, hundred percent. He could go right, but I'm, I'm quite happy to leave him out to start with. Yep, I, I am as well. So moving on from Big Tino, the other big signing for the Titans was obviously David Fafita coming over from the Broncos. Uh, really big signing, and he's now become even more popular. He was already popular at the start, per se, when Supercoach got released. But I think with the fact that the news came out that Tom Malolo is going to get less minutes now, uh, a lot of people have jumped on Fafita again. So Fafita's ownership is very big. It's not going to be like he's a pod, but can understand why. He's coming in at just over under 570000 so he's not going to be cheap. Um, I, I mean, the funny thing is, you remember when, you know, somebody moving to the Titans from another club, it was very much, oh, well, he's, he's going to go shit. He's going to be worse. But the Broncos, the way they've gone, it's actually going to be an improvement, which is strange times that we live in. But when you go through the numbers, you know, he averaged 64 points a game, so he was a genuine gun at the Broncos. He only actually played nine games, though. So I think one of the issues with him the last couple of years is it's been very soft start, you know, and I think that people have already kind of anointed him as as getting there and being a star before he's actually shown us that he can can consistently do it throughout a whole season. That's my concern on him. Um, I mean, last year he still went well at 64 points a game, but one of the things that I guess differentiates him from some of the other options is... Unlike some of the other edges, like a premium one of a Madison and an Angus, you know, he doesn't have the work rate. So his base is 40. Now, that's not terrible for an edge back rower, but it does mean that he's relying very, very heavily on his tackle breaks, offloads, as well as the tries that he's scoring. So four out of nine games last year, he scored a try, which is a pretty good strike rate. Had a heap of line breaks as well. Um, I can see the appeal, not just because of Fafita's potential, but because of their draw. I think that if they didn't have the draw that they had per so. He, he might be a bit disappointing for some people with that base, but because of the draw, I, I can definitely see the base attack and the clutch attack being there for him. Yeah, the Titans, if the Titans had a harder draw, I wouldn't even consider him. Um, he pretty much summed up everything there. He also had four out of nine games. Only had four out of nine games over 60, so that was all four games he scored a try. If he didn't score a try, he didn't score over 60 points last year's season. So... Uh, it's, it is a step up going to the Titans, which is strange, as you said, going from the Broncos. So I can't really see him going any worse, but he's not a real consistent player and he could go easily put in like three or four games with mediocre scores. If he does stay fit, then you're going to be trading him in at Origin as well. But if he doesn't, then you're using trades up too. He doesn't ever seem to put a full season together. Maybe this year will be this season he does it. But at the moment, I've got him as my um, fifth back rower because I've just stacked my back row with six guns at the moment, pending TLT of guys like Ricky and that are named, and I'll cull them and upgrade elsewhere, so he will go before the likes of Angus and Madison, that's for sure. What are the other back rowers that you've got in front of him? Uh, currently, I've got Angus, Madison, Yo. I think Yo will still go well this year, he's a bit of a pod. Uh, Barnett, Fafuda, and there's my sixth one now, I can't remember. I think it might have been, I think it might have twelve there, actually. But he'll be going with the first one, Carl. Yeah, I've actually got Barnett instead of him as well, myself. And I guess that's kind of the, the tier that Fafita's in, isn't he? You know, you're kind of banking on, you know, is he going to go better than, you know, a Barnett that can have some attack as well as a nice balance of higher base? 
Um, or, you know, can you go full base and just say, look, I'm going to bank a Nathan Brown with his 65 points that you'll get just purely from base pretty much. Um, you know, I think that those are the things to kind of, to kind of weigh up. Um, probably what I would say with Fafita that's got me interested, even though I don't own him, is that he's probably got the highest upside. Um, would you agree with that? Do you think that maybe, you know, with his age and everything, you know, he could come through and be uh, even better than what he was and with his scoring ability? He's probably got more upside than the other guys. It's just that he's pro- probably his floor is just a lot lower. Yeah, definitely. Similar to Kikau for me. Um, can go and run and look like they, while they're young and still learning and their base stats aren't that great, there'll be seasons where he'll average 70 and then there'll be other seasons where he barely averages 60. So he might have a breakout year this year, which is strange because he's already on such money and he hasn't really had a breakout season yet, so... Mm, it's interesting. I mean, do you think that he's going to click straight away with the Titans or are you a bit worried having him there that maybe it's going to take him a bit of time to work in the combinations and stuff? Oh, definitely. That's um, the other issue with both him and Tuna, the new combinations and completely different type of spawn. One's come from a wooden spoon, one's come from the Premier, so it's going to be different for both of them to adjust to that spawn. Yeah, I mean, and when you're going through his base, like it isn't even like he's shown a an inkling that maybe he's got the potential to have a higher base. Like, his base is very consistent, at least. Like, he's not someone like a, a Kikau as far as his base goes, because, like, Kikau will have, like, a, a disgusting game of, like, 26 base. It will average out because he'll have, like, a 38 base, another game, whatever. You know, one, one of the, I guess you could look at it as a positive or a negative. All these base scores are sort of between, aside from 147 up, they're all between 40 and 44. So he was very, very consistent, but it's also not showing that he's got any upside to be much of a worker. So it's definitely an interesting one. I'm banking on him not going as well initially. So myself, I reckon that you can go to a Barnett and it's much more potish for similar type of money. Um, I would probably go to a Nathan Brown instead as well, just for that, um, that guaranteed good score. But I think for me, the, the biggest struggle per se to kind of finish off and segue from Fafida is he's the type of player that I always get in as a pod. You know, those high ceiling guys that you go, look, I can maybe nail a couple of tries one game and he's going to score 100 and he's, he's going to go great. He's going to have one of those runs where he scores 45 points and I'll blow my opposition out of the water in a head-to-head. But the problem is that he's going to be heavily owned. So, you know, you've got that type of fluctuating player, but you're not really going to get the benefit of him being a pod either. No, I never said correct. When he does go big, everyone's got him. And if you haven't got him, you've probably got someone else that's not going to be too far behind him. So, yeah, it's the whole, if he does kill it early and you haven't got him, it can hurt you. But I'd be pretty confident he's not going to go berserk early on. Yeah, I'd probably summarise him for us in that he's a, he's a good option to consider. And I don't think we'd talk anyone out of, out of having him. Um, but, He's probably one of half a dozen guys in that price range that you could have easily instead, and, and no one would argue with you, I think. Yeah, 100%. I agree. All right, well, let's move on from David Fafita. I'm just going to go straight on to our mistake, and we're not even going to talk about him as, a, as far as his numbers too much, but I've seen a few people um, say, oh, Jared Wallace is only 387k, and he only scored 44 points a game in 2020, and the three years before he was in the 50s, so 56, 51, 53. Uh, the years before, um, I completely get it because I've looked at some 
options that look pretty average in guys like um, Kerr and also Laurie as well, that are kind of meat and potatoes guys that can maybe go into the 50s and then that's that's good because you're still looking at a difference. He did have a 12-point drop-off um, from 19 to 20, so it does suggest that Jared Wallace might be undervalued a little bit, might be a bit of a sneaky front row forward throw-in. But I don't see him playing more than the 37 minutes a game, really, that he was playing last year. Even if he does, he's probably still only going to get 44, 45 points a game per so, so he's not really going to go anywhere, and it's just going to be a bit of a waste. He's an interesting one, Barzi. Well, I hadn't even thought about him looking at him until you sort of mentioned the look at him. And he, he had a lot of games last year off the bench, um, and he played bugger all minutes. And interestingly, uh, he's, this week's trial is known to start. So he could potentially get back up to that 50 again. He could potentially be a little bit undervalued, but you couldn't take him, could you? Well, the thing is, I think that maybe six, he might be end up six points undervalued for you, and then you have to sort of do the math on that and say, well, is it really worth spending 387k in a you know, second front row forward spot or even third front row forward spot to to get six points of value? You know, I, I really want to be getting sort of 10 points of value with those meat potato guys without much ceiling. Yeah, he, he played six games under 30 minutes last year and averaged 43. And three games over 50 minutes, he averaged 57. Eight games over 40 minutes, he averaged 53. There's a bit of upside there, but. Again, you're talking meat and potatoes, and it, with that, we've already talked about how stacked the middle forwards are there now. Would you guarantee he's going to get that? I wouldn't at all. You wouldn't go near him. Yeah. I mean, he is the sort of guy, though, that if if they have injuries in that middle rotation or, you know, maybe he steps up and sort of last year was just an anomaly season where he was really poor um, and it was just a bad year for him. He's the type of guy that you can downgrade very easily one of your other forwards to and just rectify the mistake pretty easily. But he's one of the guys that you'd want to watch and see, I reckon. 100%. I well, think he, he battled injury and stuff last year, so he didn't have minutes that he wanted. But there's no way you're picking. There's definitely better options to start at that. But, yeah, as you said, if someone went down, if May went down or something like that and he started and he was starting to play 60 minutes a game, then he might be a sneaky board for half a dozen weeks. Let's go to the Big Wolves pods, because that's what everybody wants to hear, so let's talk about the pods. Halves for the Tigers and halves for the, the yeah. Titans. Now, I'm going to say, let's talk about Fogarty first, because I actually find Fogarty a little bit interesting. He's 430k, and when you look at his, just, his numbers straight off the bat, it's not fantastic, but... When you dig a bit deeper, there's a little bit there, you know, you've got to remember that Fogarty has only been in the NRL a couple of years, but he is a bit older, you know, he's 27 years old. Last year was his first real chance where he started a lot of games, playing around 80 minutes a game and scoring 49 points per game. So he's priced at 430k, so it's not particularly cheap, but when you go through those games and have a look at him, you know, first proper season in the NRL, he debuted for, for two games in 2017 and that was it. He's he's got a real tale of two seasons in him when you have a look at it. So okay. his final eight game stretch, like you could look at the start of it and just stop reading exactly. and just go, wow, that's terrible. Like wise bards even talking about this guy. But look at the last eight game stretch he had, and you know that's the last two months of the season, and he only played eighteen games last year. So the last eight games is a good sample size, sixty two points a game, um, and that included a, a final game where he scored twenty four points in it as well. So you know. Everything but bar that last game were 50 plus, 
And six out of eight were actually 60-plus. And he only scored three tries all season as well with 10 tries, which is only every second game getting one as a half. So it's not like that he was um, a brimson in that second half of the season where he was scoring heaps of tries uh, and he's getting heaps of tries, hits or line breaks or anything. He wasn't doing that. So the fact that he could do 62 points a game for that final two months and he was so consistent in his four being quite good, uh, it actually looks more interesting than what you would have thought. He does. Uh, I'm glad you touched on that because I was looking at the same thing. His last eight games with that 62 average. It's interesting that uh, they had the same. He's got the same average as Ash Taylor, and the same price pretty much. And there's a lot more love for Ash Taylor than there is for Fogarty. And that's with Ash Taylor kicking goals. But you look at the look. Fogarty had uh, eight out of sixteen games below forty, and then the last eight games he averaged sixty-two. So pretty, he was on fire. And that had a lot to do with the uh, Titans' success. So he could uh, continue on this year quite easily. Yeah, and he's definitely, I think, the alpha. He's, he's almost become the alpha half, I think. And, he, you know, he just played in the All-Stars game. The eye test, he looks a lot better. He looks confident. Uh, I think that it was him that they were talking about that he looks up to Cody Walker when they were talking about which Indigenous player he looks up to. Um, and they were saying it's because Cody Walker's had a similar career trajectory where he came through sort of mid-20s type of thing, didn't get the early chances and stuff. He, he's strikingly similar in the career trajectory that he's had. And we all know how well Cody Walker did having that extra maturity for his first few years in the league. Oh, 100%. He looks a player. He looks a, he looks a decent footballer. I really liked watching him last year. So, first, I'm going to throw it at you. Like, nobody's going to own Jamal Fogarty. It's definitely going to be pod territory under 10% anyway. But, you know, that, you mentioned it anyway. The halfback spot is night and day. You've got Cleary, and then you've got the field, basically. Um, I've got Moses as a second halfback because I like the draw, but Moses... Himself has his own risks, obviously. Even though 430k is a bit expensive, it's not heaps expensive, and they do have a good draw. Do you think that someone like Fogarty's an option just to throw there as your second halfback choice behind Cleary? It could be, depending on how much you want to spend on your second halfback. My second halfback's cheap and dirty and nasty at the moment, so. But um, definitely, that draw brings him right in. And if he can continue the form he had on last year, and as you said, if he's it's going to be a similar player as Walker was, which I think he might be. He's got that about him. He could definitely go on a run early. It's, it's Fogarty over Taylor. Uh, and this other Big Balls pod has actually become really popular, especially in a lot of the um, the tight super coach circles and smaller groups. Um, a lot of people have been talking about Brian Kelly. I'm going to say, I'm going to go on a limb straight away and say that I, I haven't loved Brian Kelly. You know, he was getting dropped for his defence and a few things and shifted around and come off the bench a little bit and stuff. And I sort of, I've always kind of thought that about Brian Kelly. Like, I don't know how much he can stick around in first go, um, but he can look good with the ball and put in some really good efforts. But 498k is pretty expensive. But if you look at just his 80-minute games, um, because he did have some bench games and also some injury-affected games, but just his 80-minute games, he actually averaged over 64 points per game. And he did that with pretty good raw base. Um, six out of 16 games with a try, which isn't huge as a setter. He could definitely do that. But aside from his base, when you check out his base attack, you know, 1.75 offloads a game, almost three tackle breaks a game. That, with his raw base, puts him in elite territory when you're looking at base-base attack. So all of a sudden, it becomes pretty clear why some of these um, smart super coaches are actually having a, a pretty hard look at, at Brian Kelly. Uh, and then when you look at the draw on top, you go, well, you know, it actually all, 
all the boxes end up being ticked for Brian Kelly to have a look at him as an option at sub 500k as your expensive centre wing to invest in for round one. I can't quite get there, Perso. I, I just I don't love Brian Kelly as an option. I could even see him dropped, but he was in some good form last year, and all of the numbers and everything that everyone said about him, it all makes sense and it's all true. So as far as on paper in a vacuum, if you didn't know it was Brian Kelly, I think a lot of people would be interested. Yeah, I like him. Um, I don't know if I could start with him. He looked pretty good last year. Uh, as you said, touched on the, the stats. Like uh, He was six best for the centre wing last year with base and base stats combined with 43.88 per game. So the draw this year probably brings it in. He he did look dangerous last year. As you said, like he's never been consistently in the side. So it'd be a risk, but if you like him, then you think the Titans are going to get off the flyer and continue what they did last year. He could be a really good pod, but at that, it's a it's a price at that point. I think I'd probably, if I was going to spend four hundred ninety eight thousand on a centre wing, I'd probably go up a little bit more and go for someone that like a Tupo or something like that. Do you know or is going to be that way? I mean, I've gone for a shot in the dark with um with Sebo being fifty grand less, but I mean. I guess the argument could be made that the floor for Brian Kelly is better than the floor of Sebo. So I think he's right in there. So if you if you like him or if you want to take a punt, um, I couldn't say don't, don't, don't go Kelly. He might end up being a big factor in helping you start the season big in centre wing with his um, good base and base attack. As far as mids and cheapies go, um, really there's only one, and we'll quickly mention him, and that is um, Herbie Goes Bananas. Herbert was a, um, a huge... Pod pick from Wilfred a couple of years ago, the Warriors. Um, you know, all all the boxes of having the kicking and and um, and everything. And you know, Wilfred gets a lot of stuff right, so I don't want people or Wilfred when he listens to think that I'm back at him. <laughs> but it was one of his spectacular ones that didn't quite work at all. So Herbie's numbers look pretty bad, but that means that he does come in. Yeah, they are hideous. It does mean that he comes in pretty cheap, though. So, I mean, if he ends up in the, in the centre spot, it's probably a lot better than what he than what he's going to do on the wing. But, I mean, the thing with Herbie is he's coming in at 365k, so he's right at that sort of price point where people might want to take a punt. If he ends up with the goal kicking, I kind of understand looking at him. But, you know, he's averaged 80 minutes a game pretty much the last two years and played 21 games across the last two years, and he's averaged plum on 41 each of the last two years. That's been him. He is a bit of a bum, and if he's got the goal kicking, you know, maybe, especially with that early draw, maybe he can get an extra 14 points in goal kicking the first couple of months sort of thing. That becomes a little bit of a possibility, but, you know, do you think Perso, if he gets the goal kicking, he's more of a lookout for a mid-cheapy type of guy? Not really at that price, to be honest. You're taking the Titans on trust that they're going to score a lot of points off the back of last year. He only kicked three goals last year, so is he going to take the goal king and have a Taylor unless Taylor's got some kind of leg injury or something? I don't see it happening, to be honest. And is Herbert even going to make their side? They've got a lot of depth. And if he does, is he going to be there consistently? I don't know. I couldn't go near him, to be honest. Yeah, I'm not a fan of it either. I don't think that he's going to come through even with the goal kicking, but if he's got the goal kicking, I think that it is interesting to have a look at him. Um, but I, I don't reckon that he will get the goal kicking. I do think that he'll make the side, and that's a no anyway. They don't really have anyone else in the midst of cheapies unless, um, unless some pop up in the last minute. So that'll be it for the Titans. Um, and Perso, thanks for jumping on, mate. I'm glad that we got to talk about your Tigers and uh, reminisce about another ninth place finish or something. 
Oh, I reckon we might finish 11th again two years in a row. <laughs> well, it's good to have you on. I'm sure you'll be on and around a few other podcasts and stuff this year, and we'll, we'll get you on again and have a chat. No worries, Mars. You've been great, mate. Thanks for listening, everyone, once again. Uh, obviously, you can download and also subscribe on iTunes. We'll be on SoundCloud as well as Spotify now, too. Um, don't forget our partner, Top Sport. Jump on there if you want to have a go at some uh, super coach prop bets that you can get on with Australia's 100% owned bookmaker. And you can do that by starting an account with the promo code of SC All Stars, and they'll know that you're one of our listeners and definitely take care of you. But otherwise, guys, thanks very much for listening once again. We'll be back again next week with somebody else guest starring on the podcast to go through another two teams. Getting pretty close to the end, and then we're going to have some special podcasts before the season starts. And Billy will be making a triumphant return, I assure you, for all the Billy fans out there. So thanks very much. Good luck with your teams for the next week, and we'll chat again then.